Hello, and welcome to the RUF Stanford podcast. RUF Stanford is a ministry that relies 100% on the generosity of donations in order to serve the Stanford community. Feel free to support us by going to give2ruf.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. So, I've had this conversation with y'all, with some of you, and maybe in um, this conversation is fine. But... Um, Definitely talk to Stanford students who understand that a relationship is a lot of time. And I've heard some of y'all say at different times, like, guys or girls, a romantic relationship is not on my radar right now. I should have a lot of work to do. That's valid. That's fine. Embedded within that is an understanding that relationships take a lot of time. There's act- that's actually a responsible response to the fact that you're like, I don't have the time for that, so I'm not going to engage in it. And so we're kind of asking this question of like, all right, you have a pretty full week. You have a pretty full quarter. You have pretty full plans for the next one to four years. Is following Jesus like joining another student organization at Stanford or adding a second major? In other words, what kind of time commitment are we talking about? Because we have a lot going on and we're all tired. Uh, And into that conversation, I'm going to read these verses from Jesus in Matthew 11. This is what he says to, his, uh, to a large group at this point. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we want rest for our souls, we want rest for our bodies, we want rest for our minds. Uh, And this is a time in the quarter where we feel that acutely. And I pray as we consider the rest that you offer, that you would give us the courage to believe you and to act in faith, trusting that you have us and you have our best interests, that there is truly rest available here tonight on a Tuesday night in week eight of a stressful quarter. There is rest available that we can actually find comfort in now at this very moment, but we need your Holy Spirit to teach us and testify to us that that's true and how to have it. So be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what Jesus is inviting us to. He is not inviting you to add more obligations to your week. You don't have to open up your calendar and write in a bunch of new things of what you're going to do this week. That's what everybody's worried about when I ask the question. What he's inviting us to And what we'll talk about is that it's an invitation to change how and why you do everything that you do. It's not adding to your list. It's actually looking at your list and inviting you to go through your list in a totally different manner and for totally different reasons. What Jesus is speaking into for our context today is he's speaking into two data points that we all identify with. I'm really busy. And I'm really weary. He's speaking into those two data points that we all have. And what I want you to see is that we actually, our our understanding of the relationship between those two data points, he's actually going to rewrite. Because the way we think those two data points relate to each other is, we think we're really weary because we're really busy. And I'll submit to you that actually you're really busy because you're really weary. Our busyness, our labor, is actually how we're trying to provide rest for our weary souls. 
Our busyness is actually a response to our weariness. And the problem is, of course, when we respond to weariness by adding more things, more expectations, more lists, more things on our calendar, it exasperates the condition and creates a cycle that we can't get out of. We all know this cycle. And our busyness is not getting us closer to rest. And it's not getting us closer to our soul's being satisfied, it's actually killing us. In April 2007, two years into creating, Huffing, into, uh, creating Huffington Post, Ariana Huffington was putting in, she said, 18 to 20 hour days. Uh, in April of 2007, she woke up in a pool of her own blood with a broken cheekbone and a gash over her eye in her home office. No one came into her house. She went to the doctor. Nothing was wrong with her. They ran all these tests. It was just exhaustion. This is what she said about it. She wrote about it and thought about it for a long time. She said, By professional definitions of success, I was successful. But by any sane definition of success, if you were lying in the pool, in a pool of your own blood on the floor, you were not successful. What I want to invite y'all into tonight is let's all admit this is a room of highly successful, unsuccessful people. Can we like get in on that together? Incredibly successful. Incredible. You're in the the elite academic institution. The world has never seen an academic institution so elite. You know that's true, and that even makes you uncomfortable for how true it is, that you're a member of the most exclusive club the world has ever produced. makes us uncomfortable, but you love it too. It's why you came here, right? You're highly successful people. We are really unsuccessful, successful people. We know how unhealthy we are. The mental and spiritual health of the campuses. We all have friends that left at different times. Some of us have had to leave at different times because we're unsuccessful, successful people. We're caught, right, in this paradigm. So the first question, I want to talk about that weariness a little bit. Just asking that question, are you weary? And the first thing you've got to see, and we don't want to see, because we're actually so terrified of slowing down and being honest with ourselves, Jesus wants us to see about ourselves that we are weary, that we are heavy laden. Here's the, we're going to talk about that for a second, but here's what you need to know. You don't have to be. But let's talk about the weariness. I want to help you identify it because we have all got to own that, be scared by it, process it. The more we deny it, the more power it has over us. Have you ever fantasized about just leaving? You're weary. That's the product of a weary soul. That's the the fantasy of a weary heart. Have you ever scheduled and anticipated free time, like on an afternoon or a Friday or a weekend, and when it finally gets here, you find that you can't and don't rest? It gets filled up with more work. That's a weary soul. When was the last time you allowed a friend to inconvenience your plans, your meetings, your work, your practice, just to hang out? Do you have a friend that you can cancel plans for and just hang out? Does the only way you can anticipate and engage rest and escape involve the need to chemically alter your state of mind? That's a weary soul. Do you fantasize about ending your life? That's a weary soul. Does it take Adderall and caffeine to sustain your life? Does it take alcohol or weed or coke to sustain your life, to escape from the pressure of your life? 
we're weary. Here's the are you doing the things that you saw your parents do and always said you would never do? Because you saw what it did to them and how it never made them happy. Are you doing things that you promised yourself you would never do because you're explaining to yourself over and over again, this is not who I am, this is not what I would normally do, I'm only doing it for a season, I'm not really like this, and when this season is over, I'll be different. Then you're weary. Is your body breaking down because you can't stop? Is your mind breaking down because you can't stop? Here's one. When someone says, how are you doing, can you only talk about school? Do you know that you are more than a worker? On a couple of occasions, I've asked students, how are you doing, and don't talk to me about school, and they didn't know what to say. Here's one. Can you cry? If you can't, if you can't weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, that emotional dullness is a sign of a weary heart. Do you always feel behind? Do you always fear? Are you one of those people who always said, I failed that and always get A minuses? That's an annoying, weary person. (laughs) But do you always fear that you're failing or about to fail? Is there an audience that you think about all the time? The Stanford community, the world, potential employers, parents, peers, the opposite gender, even yourself as an audience, even God himself, and you live in constant anxiety of their opinion of what you've made of yourself. When Jesus says troubling things in the gospel like, let he who has ears, let him hear, he's challenging us when we encounter his word to be honest about our condition and let his word and work speak to our true condition. And we've got to honestly grapple with who we are. And when we can't admit these kinds of things about ourselves, that we are exhausted, like our souls are exhausted, not just our bodies. When we can't honestly grapple with that, Here's the reason why we can't honestly grapple with it and tell ourselves, admit to ourselves the truth is because we're afraid. It's always fear that keeps us from being honest. That won't let us wrestle with these things. We're weary, y'all. We're exhausted. Not just because it's week eight. We were exhausted in week two. We were exhausted when we came in week one when we were hoping the work would satisfy us. And the answer to this question is not better time management skills. Because this is a spiritual problem. And when we think that's what the answer is, that I need to get mastery over my calendar, and some of us will actually labor under the burden, and I mean labor in terms of everything, not just schoolwork. It refers to everything. When you start to think, I need to get better at time management skill, you've put another law in your life that you can't satisfy, that makes you feel bad about yourself and more weary. Ever felt that about a diet or exercise or time management skill? Here's the thing I've really got to get better at. You've added another law that you don't follow, so you feel guilty, and your soul's more weary. Even even if you're thinking, I need to get better at Christian rest. If you're starting to work at Christian rest, just stop, you ruined it already. The tragedy for all of us in this, my, right before I came here, my 12-year-olds texted me. They just got a phone like a month or two ago. 
Uh, oh, I'm the worst dad ever. No data. They can just text and phone call. They don't have any internet. <laughs> worst dad. Uh, but ima- I wasn't thinking. They just said, hey, dad, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. I'm really tired. It's just funny thinking about sharing that with your 12-year-old children. I don't even think, I don't even know if that's appropriate or not to hear your dad be exhausted. But I'm here with y'all. And the tragedy for all of us with our busyness and our plans for self-improvement and even our moral and religious striving and our social goals, here's the tragedy. What are we working for? We're all working for rest. That's what we're laboring for, right? To get to that threshold in whatever place you're really striving to find rest. That's the tragedy of it. We're literally saying with our lives, I don't have time to rest right now. I've got to do more in order to earn rest. And I remember, y'all have probably heard this. It's not a biblical parable. It's just kind of one of those wise stories that goes around. I'll summarize it really quickly. Actually, one of y'all shared it with me a couple of years ago about the man who was fishing on the beach with his son. And a businessman came out on the beach during his lunch break because he was stressed out. And he looked at this middle-aged man fishing with his son. He's like, what are you doing fishing in the middle of the work week? He said, you need to get to work. And the guy said, why? He said, well, if you get to work and you buy some nets, you can catch more fish. And he's like, why would I do that? And he said, well, if you can catch more fish, you can make a lot of more money. And the guy says, well, why would you do that? Well, if you make more money, you can hire some employees, and you can grow your business. And he's like, well, why would I do that? Well, then you can get a boat, and you can catch a whole lot more fish, and you can afford a whole lot more, and you can grow your business. Why would I do that? Because once you get a fleet of boats, you'll get a big income, you, grab, you get a bunch of employees, and he goes, well, why would I do that? And he said, because you can become so rich... You can have enough money if you work hard enough that when you get to the top, you can do whatever you want with your day. And he goes, well, I want to fish with my son. He goes, you could fish with your son any day of the week. And he goes, what do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) That's us. We're all working to rest. And it's not, again, it's not just schoolwork. It's every area of our life, moral striving, religious striving, social striving, physical striving, where, we're, where we've set that threshold of work. And rest is available to you now. Some of us are nervous right now that like, this means I might need to quit something. And if I quit something, then I won't get more nets. And if I don't get more nets, I won't get more boats. And if I don't get more boats, I won't get tons of money. That's what you're thinking right now. You're like, oh my gosh. Don't tell Britain I'm starting a startup this quarter. (laughs) Here's the interesting thing about the text. Jesus doesn't say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, so do nothing. He says, take up my yoke. He doesn't say, don't work anymore. He says, instead of the yoke you're carrying, come to me and take up my yoke. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is calling us to carry something. He's actually calling us to labor. But he says, when you come to him and engage in his work with him, there's rest for your soul. So do you want a new job? The answer is yes, yes. This job is terrible. This job that we're all working And Jesus invites us into his labor. 
But here's the thing you should know about his labor. Look at his life. You see his labor in his life. It's hard. It's costly. It can involve a lot of rejection. It's very time-consuming. You're like, how is this different from Stanford? To come to Jesus is not just to come seeking forgiveness and salvation for your souls. That's all available. That's what it means to come to Him. But it's also to come into life with Him and alongside of Him in what He's doing. That's called discipleship, to follow Jesus. And to be yoked to Jesus is to be connected in the same task. He's using the agricultural metaphor of a yoke of oxen, this wooden thing that went across the necks of two oxen so they would plow a field together. So what is Christ's work? You know it. It's to love God and love your neighbor. And that's not an... Here's the thing. That's not an additional task to your list of things. What that is, is that's taking your list of things and changing why and how you go about it. Stop thinking about it in quantitative terms, like hours in the day. Think about it in qualitative terms. Why and how you work. We're, the reason that we're weary now is because we don't know who we are and we're afraid of who we will or won't become and what we will or won't achieve and we're afraid of being exposed and we're afraid we won't be sufficient. So what we're doing right now is we're laboring for an identity. We're laboring for significance. We want to wipe away the shame, minimize the possibility of embarrassment or rejection or failure. Whether your labor is, you're thinking about it, work specifically, schoolwork, jobs, that kind of stuff, or your labor is moral, religious performance, or again, social, whatever it is, where you're laboring, we're laboring for an identity. Jesus invites you to label, labor from an identity, from knowing who you are, from significance, knowing that you're in Him, that you're with Him, knowing that no failure or sin or shame can separate you from His love because His love is forgiving and it's unconditional. It's a love that you receive and you don't achieve. It's an identity that's given to you and it's not earned. That's why it's likened to adoption in the New Testament because a child is given a new name and given a new home and given a new family and given a secure place and given a permanent identity. An orphan doesn't achieve adoption. He's given, he's received, and he lives from his new name and his new family. It is only when you know that you are loved that you can love. Law cannot produce love in our hearts. Simply insisting on being better and working on and doing better doesn't produce in us the resource we need in order to love. If that's how and why we're going to do everything. Because here's the resource you have to have in your heart to love. It's this thing called freedom. In Galatians, when the church at Galatia wants to go back into the slavery of producing their own righteousness and getting themselves their own identity, he says, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery, for freedom Christ has set you free. He's talking about the freedom from having to build an identity and significance because you don't know who you are. That's the kind of freedom that we're talking about right here. You can only love if you have freedom from that. Only loved people know what true freedom is. Freedom is freedom from the yoke of having to prove your significance and achieve your identity. That's the yoke we're bearing. That's what's killing us. That's the yoke of proving ourselves. And the yoke Jesus invites you to carry with Him is the yoke of love. Your schoolwork is supposed to be a call to love. Your friendship is supposed to be a call to love. You're friends with people for them. That's what your friendship is for. 
Romance is a call to love. Worship is a call to love. Recreation is a call to love. Celebration is a call to love. Being a child to your parent is a call to love. Being a citizen is a call to love. The focus of your work is not your work, but the people that your work serves. This is why in the parable of the Good Samaritan, all these people walk past this hurting guy because they have to get to their really important business. Do you notice the hurting people around you or do you not have time for them? Because it's not just poor people or homeless people that are hurting. We all know there's a lot of pain on campus and a lot of us aren't. He's not adding to your schedule of things. He's changing the way and the manner we do any and everything. And just when you start thinking, that's how we did it. Okay, I am going to get better at being loving. That's my new project this week. Stop it. You just, you ruined it again. <laughs> We're in danger of sabotaging the light load that Jesus has called us to. Don't go look to improve so that you can feel better about yourself. When we go, I just really need to be better at, what we're aiming for is to feel better about ourselves. He doesn't say, work to improve, you who labor and are heavily burdened. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavily burdened. In the face of Jesus, at the cross of Jesus, you have the eternal and proud, full smile of approval and love from your Creator and from your Heavenly Father. The reason we are weary is because we don't think anyone loves us. The reason He says, come to me, and that begins to lift the weariness, is He's saying, come and believe in and understand and bask in the fact that you are loved. So... He describes what co-laboring with him in love will feel like. And that's important because we're still scared. So I think it's important to listen to what, how he describes co-laboring with him in love will feel like. He says, so my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't mean it's not demanding. What it means is it means that it's well-fitting. Uh, last year, I walked the dish in a brand new pair of Sperry loafers. It was the most painful thing I ever did, and it took my feet a week to recover. They were chafing, they were blistered afterwards. When I walked the dish in running shoes, shoes that fit, when I used them for what they were made for, my feet were worked right, and they flourish, and my body feels good. You are made to work and to seek obedience and to seek friendship and impact and excellence and romance and play and and recreation as expressions of love. The reason that we are chafing and breaking down and weary is because we are doing those things to help us feel better about ourselves. That doesn't fit. When you use those things for what they're for, it'll feel like it fits. And that's what it means when it talks about an easy and light burden. 
You still carry a burden. But the burden of love is far lighter than the burden of proving yourself. The sacrifices that you will make for and to those you love is actually lighter than the sacrifice you will make for your personal goals so that you can be happy with you. The sacrifices of love will actually be bigger, but they're experienced as lighter. Because that's what love does. Jesus wept and went to the cross for the joy set before him. It was a huge sacrifice, and it was full of joy. The reason we're weary is not because of what we are doing. It's because of why we're doing it. We're proving, justifying, achieving significance for ourselves, and that is the heaviest burden that you can carry, and it will grind you to dust. And we've already seen it grind some of us to dust. We're just on different timelines. Coming to Jesus means embracing and believing His words to you and His work for you. 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another. That's the yoke we're called to carry with Jesus. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son in the world so that we would live through Him. And this love... Not that we even loved God first, but He loved us first and He sent His Son to pay for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us that way, we ought to love one another. God's love is not just a warm, fuzzy sentiment. So it has very little power if that's all we conceive of it. And that's not what love is. Love is investing your life, not your afterthoughts, not your free time, investing your life into the joy and the flourishing of others. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's the yoke you're invited to take up with Him. All right, so one application to close out. What does it practically look like then for us to embrace that? It means that we cultivate a pattern of rest. And here's where it's going to feel like a bait and switch because I'm going to tell you that you need to add something to your week. You're like, I knew it. I knew there's going to be more stuff in my calendar. (laughs) It sounds like more stuff to do. Listen, Sabbath rest, gathering with God's people, sitting under the teaching of His Word, worshiping Him, not just on Sundays, but several times throughout the week, whenever, whatever that looks like, can look like a lot of different expressions. You're like, ah, oh, see, you just said there's like a bunch of other hours in the week that I've got to take out of my schedule and do Jesus-y things. No. Stop. <laughs> Sabbath rest is more stuff to do the way a birthday present is more stuff to do. Rest is actually Jesus' gift to you. When people start treating it like more stuff to do, he rebukes them in the gospel. He says, the man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift to you. Stopping is a gift. And here's the thing though. Rest is not simply inactivity. That's not rest. Rest in the biblical sense is about renewal and remembering and rejoicing. In Exodus 23, when it, when it talks about Sabbath rest, he says, you engage in this rest so that you will be refreshed. Inactivity doesn't necessarily refresh you. How are we refreshed? We're refreshed 
by being restored and remembering who we are. Because here's what we did this week. It's only Tuesday, and here's what we did. We forgot who we are again. We're like, I'm a worker. I'm a worker. I'm someone who gets grades and gets internships. I'm someone who finds social acceptance, right? We forgot who we were. That's not who you are. And you're weary as long as you believe that's who you are. So rest is actually about remembering who you are. The reason we have to come back to the Word, the reason we have to come back and worship is remembering that you're in Christ and you're loved by God. If you have a stroke tomorrow and can't work and produce anything, your value is not taken away, your significance is not diminished. Do you know that? Do you know if you made nothing tomorrow, your significance is not diminished? Deuteronomy 5, when it talks about observing Sabbath rest, it says you shall remember that you used to be a slave in Egypt. He's addressing the Israelites and that the Lord brought you out. Israel's slavery in Egypt was a picture of our slavery to sin and self-justification. And rest is being renewed and restored again in Jesus' love so that you can remember who you are and remember His gracious love. Rest is remembering. I'm accepted by Jesus. That's who I am. Jesus is my righteousness. Everybody has a righteousness. Your righteousness is the thing that makes you valid or significant or right. Rest means you come back to Jesus and you find out, oh yeah, my righteousness is not my productivity, it's not my connections, it's not the way I look, it's not my performance, it's not even my religious devotion, it's not even my moral performance. Jesus is my righteousness. Rest is remembering that. It's an activity. Rest is very active. Rest is rejoicing. It is the celebration of emancipation that we are no longer slaves. That's what he tells the Israelites. You've got to rest one day a week and remember we were slaves and we're not anymore. Resting is the most countercultural activity you can do in Silicon Valley. And only people who can't uh, rest are slaves because they're still subject to their masters and they have no control. Rest Renewal, remembering, rejoicing. You're thinking, I don't have time for that. You've missed it then. What he's saying is, no, you, he actually gives you time. These things don't take time from you. They redeem all the time we've wasted, wearying ourselves with trying to make ourselves significant. It's a, formal, it's a formal physical demonstration that your labor is not who you are. You can't say it and not do it. This means you stand up and you walk away and say, that's not what I am. Because one of the ways we continue to weary ourselves and lie to ourselves is we say, I'm going to keep being buried in this, but this is not who I am. It's a formal demonstration that your productivity is not who you are. And this is what freed slaves always do, is they celebrate together. And that's why we sing. That's why God's people sing. Because celebration alone hardly qualifies as rejoicing. It's the joy of it is multiplied when we do it together. Y'all don't need time management skills to get through Stanford. You don't need time management skills to get through life. The thing will not give you rest. It'll probably just make you add more to your calendar. That'll also tyrannize you and make you feel insufficient. The way you find rest is in Jesus. Being sure of his love for you. Looking at the cross, seeing that his love for you will never stop. Being sure of the resurrection, that his love is eternal. That's where rest is.
Let's pray.